Today's passage is from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her, the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they both could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Before we jump into this week's sermon, take a minute on each of the following three questions. You'll probably want to hit pause in between so you have enough time. In light of this parable, number one, who is God and how do I relate to him? Two, in light of this parable, who am I and how does God relate to me? Three, in light of this parable, how is God calling me to love him, his church, and my neighbor more? After listening to this week's sermon, go back and spend a few minutes reflecting on how your answers may have changed or not. You may be surprised by the difference that Jesus makes. Good morning. My name is Mark Graffengator, and it's a pleasure to be with you again at the table. I'm so glad uh, for this invitation, and I'm grateful to be able to share God's word with you this morning. As a father, I knew this day would come. And I had hoped we could push it off as long as possible. But I also knew that it was something that was completely out of control as parents. See, my son, Michael, is seven and he's in the first grade. This week, he came home and had a question for his mom. Mom, I think I'm weird. And my wife, Stacy, said, what? what? What do you mean? Well, he thought he was weird by association. See, some girls in another first grade class saw him playing with one of his friends who happened to be on the autism spectrum. The girls concluded that Michael was weird because he played with this other first grade boy. This other boy was in Michael's kindergarten class and they liked to play together, be silly, swing each other on the swings as first graders do. When she asked Michael if he thought the boy was weird, he said, no, he's fun. Stacy relayed this to me in the evening and I asked him how he felt about it at bedtime. He said, I'm sad because I don't want my friend to be called weird. And it's one of those things that breaks your heart as a parent. See, to be called weird in the first grade is scandalous. 
to be associated with a sinner in the first century is scandalous. Scandals cause public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law and make us question what we thought was true. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does. He causes a scandal and makes us question what we thought we knew to be true. While he may see them as salacious, excuse me, while we may see them as salacious, we are not comfortable being associated with scandals, but Jesus was. In our text this morning, we see three types of scandals, scandalous debt, scandalous forgiveness, and scandalous love. Let me set the scene for you. Jesus had been invited to a dinner at Simon's house, who was a prominent Pharisee. Simon was well regarded amongst the religious Jews of the day. He was without error in his religious life. He was a good citizen. Jesus should have felt being honored, honored being invited to his house for dinner. Dinners and feasts like this were rather public affairs. See, even if you hadn't been formally invited, you could come and observe and listen in to the conversation happening around the table. Well, a woman of the city, as Luke writes, a sinner, slides to into the side of the room and places herself behind Jesus. No one notices her at first, but soon people begin to give her side glances. Is she crying? What is she doing? Suddenly, she falls to the floor weeping behind Jesus, her tears falling on his feet that are stretched out behind him. She undoes her hair and begins drying his feet. What's that smell? Perfume permeates the room. She's pouring perfume on his feet? No more side glances. People are staring and muttering to themselves. How can he let her do this? Doesn't she know who he is? Doesn't he know who she is? Jesus, sensing the air being taken out of the room, asks if he can tell a story. Sure, Simon replies. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Short story. Now, Jesus continued, which of them will love him more? Simon, perhaps very proudly, replied, the one, I suppose for whom he canceled a larger debt. I understand how, or I wonder how sly Jesus' face looked as he replied, you have judged rightly. See, debt was a fairly serious problem in the first century. As it is today, 50 denarii for the average person would have been about a month's, month and a half's worth of income. 500 denarii would have been about a year and a half of wages. Both were significant. Both were debt. The debt for the debtor who owed 500 denarii would have been crippling. Perhaps they never would have been able to get out of the debt without forgiveness. Maybe even for the one who owed only 50 as well. It's the type of debt you don't talk about because it would have been scandalous. The majority of us carry around some amount of debt. We have car payments, student loans, a mortgage. These are all typical types of debt. We don't really talk about them, but they're not that scandalous. What about gambling debt? We don't talk about much of that kind of debt. Perhaps it's too scandalous. Scandalous debt is the kind that can ruin you, that you hide, that you don't want anyone else to know about. The average household in the U.S. carries about $15,000 in credit card debt. We don't talk about that much. And credit card debt is scandalously expensive. 
In order to get out of it, we have to make serious lifestyle changes. And when we don't, the debt just continues to compound. Minimum payments are not enough. See, the poignant piece of Jesus' parable is that both debtors had debt. Simon, Jesus is implying, still has debt, but he hid it. He denied it. He continued to host parties, enjoying his public persona, and acted like everything was normal. The woman, however, she knew the depths of her debt, and it seemed like everyone else knew of it too. There was no denying it, and it was scandalous. Think of a time you've carried significant debt. Perhaps you are right now. What does it feel like? Is it oppressive? Are you trying to hide it? Does it feel like you're being held underwater just a little too long? Do you need to make hard decisions about how you're going to live? Do you need to forego Christmas, gifts, vacations, dinners out, or are you just ignoring it? Do you have someone you can talk to about it? Is there someone trusted you can go to? Can you and your spouse talk about it, make a plan, bring it into the light? I know I'm dwelling on the debt a little bit, but I want you to feel the weight of the debt because the point isn't the debt. The point is the forgiveness. See, the woman likely never would have been able to get out of her debt except she acknowledged her debt and was able to have someone do something about it. Forgive it. To forgive a debt of that magnitude would have been scandalous. Would have been scandalous forgiveness. After telling Simon the parable, Jesus turns to his, his attention to the woman and declares to her that her many sins are forgiven. She is no longer just a debtor. She is a forgiven debtor. Where Simon only sees her debt, Jesus sees her forgiven status. The word here isn't the typical word for debt, uh, forgiveness. Instead, it's the word karizomai, which means to give generously. You may recognize the root word charis in karizomai, which is where we get our word grace. This points not merely at the state of forgiveness in which Jesus declares on the woman, but it points even more deeply at himself. By using the word karizomai, Jesus is blowing open their categories about God because as one commentator notes, when it comes to forgiveness, God is a money lender who does not care about money. Let me say that again. When it comes to forgiveness, God is a moneylender who does not care about money. This truth causes everyone in the scene to question their identity. Simon questions Jesus' identity as a prophet because Simon believes he knows the true identity of the woman. Jesus shows that not only is he a prophet, he sees what's in Simon's inner dialogue, but also that he is the one who can forgive sins and act only God can do. The woman, who is never named in this story, finds her identity in Jesus. She is not merely a sinner, she is a forgiven sinner, which turns the question of identity back to, to Simon. Where he is the first person to question the identity of Jesus and presume the identity of the woman, now his identity is being questioned. You too have a debt, Simon. Is it forgiven? Luke leaves us wondering about Simon's debt, and perhaps we begin wondering about our own too. Who do you identify with in this story? Just to clarify, it, it shouldn't be Jesus. Do you find yourself in Simon's place? 
presuming the debt of others, others while ignoring your own? Do you identify with the woman who knows the depths of her debt and is forgiven? Or do you identify with the others around the table wondering at how Jesus can so freely forgive? Where do you find yourself? Where would you like to find yourself? The beauty of the gospel is this. Because Luke includes what seems like such an aside, such an inconsequential story, you have a place in it. You are not so inconsequential to God that you are not included in the story of redemption. You have a place in his story. You have a place at his table. You have a place in his family. See, no matter where you find yourself in the story, even if you identify with Simon, the declaration of forgiveness Jesus gives to the woman is open to you as well. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You can have that peace that comes when your debt is forgiven. You too can be a forgiven sinner. So what? What happens if we, like the woman, find our identity as forgiven sinner? Let's look back at the beginning of the passage and with the woman's scandalous love. It is presumed, but not fully known for sure, that this woman was a prostitute. She would have waited in the street, selling her physical affection, her sexual attention to someone who would have sought her out. And yet here we see her doing the exact opposite. This woman of the city sought Jesus out, searched for him, and in a rather public setting expressed her scandalous love for Jesus. She made a scene as she wept over Jesus' feet. She further scandalized the room when she let down her hair to dry his feet. This would have been something respectable women would not have done in public. She broke the alabaster flask of ointment to anoint his feet, which would have enveloped the entire room with its fragrance. Any sense of propriety would have been lost. However, her actions and a complete reversal of her usual demeanor are not meant to arouse, but rather express the intimacy she has and desires to have with God. It's shameless intimacy she is after, not her usual trade. Most of her interactions with men are shamefully physical, but not intimate. But with Jesus, she's finally able to express true, loving intimacy without being shameful. Because of the intimate nature of her public affection, it's scandalous. People question Jesus. Simon wonders at who he has invited into his house, especially because of this show of affection. is so contrasting to how Simon treats Jesus. Sharing your table and eating with someone was the single most intimate social setting in the ancient Jewish world. And while Simon invites Jesus to his table, he displays no love toward him. As Jesus replies for him in verses 44 through 46, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss. You did not anoint my head with oil. Now, none of these things were required to show hospitality, which is a significant form of love. But it was the customary way to honor a guest, a prophet no less, in your home. Simon remained shamefully invulnerable. He showed no affection for Jesus and yet invited him into an intimate setting. Simon was treating Jesus as a woman of the city, wanting the physical proximity, but not the intimacy. 
This is arguably more scandalous than what the woman did. While Simon is keeping Jesus at arm's length, the woman is fully embracing Jesus because in him she has found an intimacy that satisfies, love that transforms and forgives her debt. Prayer is how we find intimacy with God. It's how we can shamelessly and vulnerably approach a God who loves us deeply to express our inmost feelings, longings, pains, hurts, and complaints, even our complaints about God to God. Biblical prayer, as opposed to evangelical prayer, is wrought with struggle, pain, and distraction. If we've ever had a relationship with another person, we are aware of the desire for intimacy involves the difficulties of intimacy as well. Prayer is the language that we use to express our desire for intimacy with God. We don't talk about our desires, we express them to God. This kind of intimacy is not proper in some social settings. It's not perfunctory, it's not rehearsed, it's not performed. It's raw, it's real, it's bedroom arguments at 11 p.m. when you're hoping you don't wake your kids. It's the ability, as uncomfortable as it may be, to bring all of yourself to God because the love and forgiveness that he offers. To love God is not niceties, but it's knowing how committed he is to you. This is intimacy. This is prayer. This is scandalous love. Jesus causes scandals. Scandalous debt, scandalous forgiveness, and scandalous love. He risks being associated with the scandalous because Jesus himself has caused the greatest scandal ever known when he died on the cross. He despised its shame, but an even greater scandal happened when he arose from the grave. What scandal is he causing in your life?